0: You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoyed today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Let's get serious. Yeah. All right.
1: God, why did you heal their kid but not mine? Why did you let that person abuse me, God? God, if you're good, why don't you save my marriage? God, if you're real, why can't you show me a sign? Hey, do you ever ask questions like these? Hey, when terrible things happen in your life, does it shake your faith? Do you start to question and doubt? I'm sure we all have. You now the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that it's impossible to please God without faith, that even though there is... So much evidence, scientific evidence, historical evidence, biblical evidence, that God is real, Jesus is real, the Bible is true. We still need faith to please God. When we go through those tough times, our faith can start to shake, and we can start to doubt, and we can question. It's difficult to keep our faith during those hard seasons of life. The Hebrews in chapter 11 verse 1 defines faith, or explains faith. It says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Or I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So everybody has faith in something, even if you say you don't believe in any God. You're putting faith in that belief that there is no God because there's no way to prove it. In the sense, you could prove, you know, like this chair is sitting right here. So everyone puts their faith somewhere or in something. It's not a question of do you have faith, but where is your faith? Who is your faith in? Sometimes faith can be very deadly. And just having faith doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, faith is what causes people to run into buildings with bombs on their chest and blow places up. It's not just faith. It's faith in a person, in the correct person, faith in Jesus. And that's, as Christians who we place our faith in. And faith is not how we're saved, but we're saved through faith. Because again, no matter how much we talk about all the proof of the Bible and all these different apologetical reasons, there still is an element of faith. There's something about it that we can't prove. I mean, even when God came to the earth as Jesus and He was sitting, you know, He was in front of people, that still didn't prove that God is real. So even if God is right here, apparently that's not proof because 2,000 years ago it happened And not a lot of people believed Him then. Not a lot of people believe Him now. So there's this huge element of faith involved. And again, it can be difficult to keep our faith in those hard times. But because Jesus is the Christ, He's the one we must put our faith into. He's the only one who gives us any real hope, who answers the tough questions that life throws at us, and gives us a solid foundation. So tonight we're going to look at this idea of faith and why we put our faith in Jesus. And... uh, answering three questions we're looking at three questions through first john uh, chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 why or what do we do when we put our faith in Jesus we we'll first look at that then why why do we put our faith in Jesus and then what does god do when we put our faith in Jesus okay, so the first thing we'll look at is what do we do when we put our faith in Jesus um, so this is our response to Jesus and this is first john chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 this is what we do when we put our faith in Jesus. It says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is He who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so what do we do when we put our faith in Jesus? First, we have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, this is the basic thing of Christianity, that Jesus is the Christ. Or John uses Christ and Son of God interchangeably as titles for Jesus. And uh, growing up, I mean, and you ask a lot of people, what does Christ mean? And that's not Jesus' last name. For some reason, I always imagine it like a Bond villain, like Mr. Christ. No, it's not his last name. It's a title for him. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah is the Hebrew term for Christ. Uh, He's the chosen one, we might say today, the anointed one. The person, God, coming in the flesh to redeem Israel, but then the entire world, us Gentiles as well, from our sins. And believing that Jesus is that person is the first thing we do when we put our faith in Jesus. Now this could be proving that Jesus is the Christ, could be pretty much a whole sermon series on its own. There's so much evidence for this biblically and outside of biblically. We could spend a lot of time on this. Uh, but it is important to understand that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one who's going to save us. Because Christians are the only ones who agree on that. Uh, Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That he, they think the Messiah is still to come and uh, is going to be a conqueror, but they're missing all these other things that already had to have happened. So Jesus is the Christ, and primarily we know this because there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that tell us who the Christ is going to be, the things to look for, and the things He's going to do. There are over 300 of them when you read the Old Testament. Um, but there's a guy named Peter Stoner. God bless him for doing this work, figuring out some math. I don't know what he did here. But he calculated the probability that one person could fulfill those prophecies. Not all 300 of them, but just 8 of those. He picked eight specific prophecies out of those 300. And said, what are the odds that one person could fulfill all those? I don't know the math of it, but it's verified through math. I don't know what they do. But he said the odds are this, that one person could fulfill those prophecies. It's 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's 10 with 17 zeros, right? Getting out that uh, public high school education math right there. Um, the odds, so he, the, this guy illustrates what would be those, those odds. And he says it's the same odds if you cover the state of Texas with silver dollars, two feet high, put a mark on one of the coins, and sent a blindfolded person out, and they picked the right one. That's the odds that one person could fulfill even eight of those prophecies, let alone the other two hundred and ninety some. And so there's all this sorts of evidence pointing to that Jesus is the Christ, He's the Messiah, and again, primarily through uh, Old Testament prophecies. Probably the best example is uh, Isaiah 52 and 53. Now I debate if I should read this, but it's so awesome that I'm going to. Okay, so I'll read that. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. It's probably the most densely packed Old Testament prophecies of Jesus. Um, starting, uh, Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. It says, Behold, my servant, that's Jesus, shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare His generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many." for He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide Him a portion with the great, and He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because He poured out His soul unto death, and He was numbered with the transgressors, and He bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And that is an amazing section. I mean, we could study that for weeks, pointing to every. It perfectly describes over 700 years before Jesus was born. His suffering, His death, His forgiveness for, of everyone's sins, and then His exaltation. And there's all sorts of stuff like that through the Old Testament that prove Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And that's why we put our faith in Him. It's not blind faith, just, oh, some, some guy said that Jesus is the Christ. No, I mean, you can study this and figure it out. There's no one else it could be. Um, so secondly, what we do when we put our faith in Jesus is we love other Christians. It says in, uh, in the second part of verse 1 and verse 2, everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. Anyway, this whole letter, 1 John, I mean really every sermon in the second half of it could be about loving each other. We've It's come up just about every week for the past few weeks. And we've looked at it in detail, so we're not going to look at it a ton here again. But one of the things we do when we put our faith in Jesus is we love other Christians. very, very important to John. And he even makes it as an indicator of salvation. It doesn't... That's not how you're saved, but it's one of the evidences that can show the Holy Spirit is working in you is when you love other Christians. Again, we've talked about this a lot already in this letter, but he adds a little bit more right here about how to do it. Earlier in the letter, John says that if we love God, we will love His children and obey His commandments. And again, I've said that makes me always kind of convicted. I feel like I don't love fellow Christians as much as I should. But now he kind of flips it and helps to understand a little bit. Instead of saying... If we love God, we will love His children. He says, uh, If we love God and keep His commandments, we'll love one another as well. So they kind of work together. If we're loving God and keeping His commandments, automatically we're going to love His other children. And so by loving God and keeping His commandments, shows it's a way that we love each other and it works the other way around. Thirdly, what we do when we put our faith in Jesus is we keep God's commandments. Very important. Verse 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. We can't put our faith in Jesus and say we put our faith in Jesus and then not keep His commandments. Again, we're not saved by our works, but they're an indicator that we've given our lives to Jesus and we're following Him through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we can't say we love God and not do any of the things He commands or any of the things He asks of us because if we love someone, we're going to do what they say. It's like in a marriage you can't Uh, say you love your spouse and then not do any of the things they ask of us. And you don't do those things to gain the love of your spouse or to continue in their love, but just to show that you do love them. And it's the same with God. It's any relationship or friendship or anything. If if we're saying we love Him and we put our faith in Him through Jesus, then we have to do some of the things He says. Uh, And he says, John here... uh, very helpful bit of advice for how keeping God's commandments. He says His commandments are not burdensome. He reminds me, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, to take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest from your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. And so when you think about God's commands, it's not like He's asking us to do some crazy stuff. I mean, He's telling us to love each other. He's telling us not to commit adultery. not to. I mean, these aren't, these aren't crazy commands. I mean, these are just You know, it's sometimes hard to do, but they're not out of this world like you have to give away 95% of your money. And and these are not burdensome commands, and they're for our use and for our benefit. But commands become burdensome when we become disobedient. Uh, Nora, my daughter, she just had her second birthday, December 5th, and we got for her a toy kitchen. We thought she'd love that to have this little kitchen to make food for us and put her to work early, you know, fake food. Uh, she always asks me if I want more coffee, and then she calls me Steve, and uh, I don't know where she got that. It's so cute. More coffee, Steve? But, so we got her this toy kitchen for her birthday, and she loved it. She played with it all day, and lo- she loved playing with it so much that she didn't want to go to bed, and then the next morning, she didn't want to eat breakfast. And oh, this was a struggle with her, to get her to try to eat breakfast. She never had a problem eating breakfast. She just sits in her chair, watches bubble guppies or whatever, and uh, eats breakfast. They bubble guppies, no problems eating breakfast. But now, because she wanted to be disobedient and wanted to play with her toys instead of eat her breakfast, all of a sudden this easy command, eat your breakfast, became a huge struggle. And she was throwing a fit like a half hour probably. Finally, you know, just shoved her in there and made her, she calmed down. Adrian did a great job calming her down. Uh, But something that was so easy to do for her the day before, all of a sudden became a huge struggle when she decided to be disobedient. And when God's commands are really hard for us to do, same thing, it's because we're wanting to be disobedient. And we want to fight that. And when we just go along with it and trust Him and put our faith in Him, His commands aren't burdensome. It's loving each other. It's putting other people's needs ahead of yours. It's loving the Lord our God with all our mind, strength, and soul. These aren't burdensome but they are when we become disobedient. Um, Now, fourthly, when we put our faith in Jesus, we overcome the world. It says in verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we are as a uh, result and as a command to overcome the world. And John earlier in the letter defined what the world is. The world is not always bad. You know, God so loved the world. But a lot of times when the Bible refers to the world, it's kind of this system of things set up against God. And John earlier in this letter defined the world or described it as the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The lust of the flesh is doing whatever you want to do as long as it makes you feel good. That's the basic idea behind lust of the flesh. We call that hedonism. Very popular today. Uh, to do that, just whatever you want to do as long as you feel good. The lust of the eyes is coveting, wanting things that we see very badly and will sin to get them. Uh, and then the pride of life, thinking that you're better than you are. You're thinking that uh, I don't have to serve God because you know I'm such a great guy and such a cool person. Yeah, that's the pride of life. And, and we can get into a lot of detail on that, but we already have through this study. So those three things are wh- how John describes the world. And he says, through our faith in Jesus, we overcome that. But not only that, he says, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is a question in the Greek that has a strong like, negative answer implied. It's a rhetorical question. No one can overcome those things, except people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus is the only one who has overcome those things. And not that we do it, but, but He did. And so much of what Jesus did has been imputed to us, Uh, Because we died with Him when we believe in Him to our old nature, our old selves. And we resurrect to His new nature as Christians through the Holy Spirit. And so much of what Jesus did, God has also imputed to our account. That's how our sins are forgiven. Not because we did anything, but because Jesus did. And same thing, but because Jesus overcame the world, we also can overcome the world. And no one else can except he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Because there's no one else that's overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. But Jesus has, and we can through Him. And so, are you overcoming the world? Or is the world overcoming you? And as Christians, we have this uh, ability to overcome the world through Jesus because He sends His Holy Spirit to live in us. And if those types of things I just described, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, those things are overcoming you, then there's maybe a problem with the faith foundation. You'll get into that a little bit later. they fully trusting those things. We should be, as followers of Jesus, overcoming the world. And if you're, not, if you're not gaining victory over those things, not that you'll be perfect, but if you're not continually progressing in that, then there's some issues there that you need to look at, pray about, ask for wisdom about. Um, but also, what if God's commands are burdensome to you? To apply this, what does God ask us to do that's really hard for you? And there's been a lot of times studying and reading the Bible, I feel convicted all the time. And it is hard for me to love people more than I love myself. I mean, God's really revealed it to me in little things. Like the other day I was sharing ice cream with Nora and his cookies and cream. And I was taking the big cookie chunks because she doesn't care. She can take the little cookie chunks. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to go to hell for that. But it's little things. I mean, that reveals my heart, I think. And God convicted me about that. Like, why am I, This is my daughter. I should give her the big cookie chunks. And some of these things... I mean, I mean you see where, where I'm going. I mean, it, it's little things like that that tell me my heart is very selfish. Because I do those things a lot. And it's, it comes up in little things and big things. And so if something's burdensome to you, There's probably disobedience somewhere in there too, and you need to find that. Now, this is what God asks of us when we put our faith in Jesus. And as we read this morning, Pastor Dave taught us it's not easy. I mean, Jesus, I love when people come to him and say, "I want to follow you, Jesus." He doesn't get all like excited and hyper like Christian. Okay, okay, let's pray through and, and get all this. He just say he kind of challenges them and says, "Are you up to it? Can you handle this? It is hard. It's not. I mean." You don't get to eat all the big cookie chunks anymore because you'll feel guilty about it. (laughs) Things like that. And hopefully, I mean, that's not the only thing I'm convicted about. I I feel comfortable admitting that, we'll say. Uh, So, that's what we do when we put our faith in Jesus. Now secondly, why should we put our faith in Jesus? Um, This is what John describes in verses 6-10. through This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. And for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. so this explains why we should believe in Jesus. And it is kind of confusing and I did a lot of studying to figure out what exactly he means by this. People can't always agree, but he sort of lists out some four witnesses who witness to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. He says these things testify to that, the water, the blood, uh, the Spirit, and then God the Father Himself. So what He most likely means by water, and there's not 100% agreement, is the water of Jesus' baptism. It says that this is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. He's probably referring to the water in Jesus' baptism. In the beginning of His earthly ministry, not the beginning of His life, He lived like 30 years before that, but the beginning of Him making Himself known as the Messiah. So this is the starting point, uh, the alpha of Jesus' earthly ministry. And John the Baptist gives this testimony in uh, the Gospel of John. Hey, this is John the Apostle writing this. John the Baptist says this, "...I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and He remained upon Him. I did not know Him, but He who sent Me to baptize with water said to Me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, This is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That's John the Baptist describing what he saw when he baptized Jesus. The Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke add another detail. God the Father's voice saying, You're my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And so we have the whole Trinity here involved in Jesus' baptism. This is the beginning of His public earthly ministry. He would already lived 30 years, and God is already well pleased with Him. So he'd been living a godly life without sin up to that point. But this is when he, for whatever, the Bible doesn't say why he decided now, was when he makes himself known. But the water is Jesus' baptism. The first step in his revealing himself as the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him at his baptism. That's what empowered Jesus his entire earthly life. Jesus always remained God the Son on the earth, but he laid that aside. He emptied himself of his divinity, and lived as a human through the power of the Holy Spirit as we do, uh, for the most part. So the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus through His whole life uh, in His incarnation, and what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus came to the earth as a human. I was thinking it's amazing looking at a little baby like little John here. I mean, Jesus was that size at one point. And maybe He wasn't born that little, but to think the God we worship was. Humble himself that much to come like that and lay aside his divinity to do it for our sakes, to forgive us of our sins because he 's the messiah that that 's his incarnation, and that's amazing and he didn't cheat i mean he didn't stay God I and mean, he did stay God, but he didn 't use that, and he lived through the Holy Spirit like we do, and that 's jesus' incarnation and he and I also think it's amazing and important that He didn't just come to die. He didn't show up the day before His crucifixion. Hey, I'm going to be a sacrifice to forgive everyone. His life is important because His life proves that He was without sin. His life proves that He's God when He performed all of His miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And His life testifies to that. So when John is talking about the water shows, His baptism, symbolically it's His whole life. That's just the beginning of His ministry and everything He did from the point of His baptism to His crucifixion that all points to that Jesus is God. And that's why John, the Apostle John, wrote the Gospel of John, so that you could believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that's why he wrote these things. Uh, secondly, he says the blood testifies that Jesus is the Christ. Hey, he came by water and by blood. And this probably means his crucifixion. And there's other interpretations that this is what most people agree upon. That the blood is refers to Jesus' crucifixion, his suffering on the cross. And this, the blood and his resurrection this is why we're Christians. If Jesus was crucified and died and never resurrected, no one would be following him. People don't follow losers. We follow him because He resurrected, and he proved that proves He is God. So the water and the blood proves that he's God, His life and then his suffering, death and resurrection all prove that Jesus is God. Um, and the cross shows God's love for us by God coming to fix our problems. And this shows God's love and testifies to Him. And on the cross, it says in 2 Corinthians, uh, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And this is what I was talking about earlier. What Jesus done is imputed to us when we put our faith in Him and we switch places on the cross. Our sins went on to Him. His righteousness came on to us. And that testifies, that proves that why we should put our faith in Jesus You find any other worldview or belief system that gives you as much hope that you can have your sins taken away from you and have righteousness granted to you. There's nothing else like that. And this is why we put our faith in Jesus. And this was God's eternal plan to defeat sin and evil. And a lot of the times, our problems with faith come down to... And people ask the question a lot, you know, how could God be loving, but also there's so much evil in the world? And you know, this is... An important question and a big question for building that foundation of our faith and you know you can logically explain stuff and it doesn't mean the same thing until it hits you but when people ask that question if maybe you're asking that question how could this happen if God is good you wouldn't know what good is except that there's a God there. Uh, C.S. Lewis says you wouldn't know a crooked line unless you've seen a straight line before. There's no evil in the world or if there's no God you wouldn't even know what evil is because there has to be an opposite to make itself known but you know God created us I mean we to get us to a uh good situation today I mean there's a couple of options that he could have done I mean God didn't have to create us and then there's no evil so there's the problem solved there God could have created us with no free will and then there's no evil but who wants to make a bunch of robots Uh, and then God could have created people but made no distinction of good and evil, and then there's no goodness. And so, knowing those things, God created us anyway because He loved us, just the way we have kids, because we don't have to, but we want to, because we think it'd be awesome. And us having a free will and good and evil, God didn't create evil, but evil is the absence of good, and that's a consequence of free will. But at the same time, God always knew His plan to save us from that was through Himself, through His Son, Jesus. And this is... I mean, sometimes it helps to understand intellectually. I mean, either there is no evil and then there's no good, or evil is something we do, not something God does. And all sin and evil, God didn't create that. We did it as a result of our free will. But He loved us enough to give us an answer in His Son to say that He's going to remove that and it's the perfect solution to that because He came to remove our sinful natures and uh, one day He'll remove all that from, from the world and He comes back. And so, when we talk about the blood of Jesus why we put our faith in that, I mean, it is, yeah, God died to forgive me of my sins, but it's also God died to cleanse me of sins done to me. It's also God died to fix this whole world and this whole universe and this whole problem of evil. And so we have the water and the blood. The water the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, the blood, the end of it. And that whole, uh, you know, we read about it in the Gospels, and the Bible, that all shows that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But thirdly, the Spirit also testifies that Jesus is the Messiah. Why we put our faith in Him. And the Holy Spirit is God, the third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, when He ascended to heaven, said, I'm going to leave you, my, a helper to be with you when I'm not here. And that's, who is living in us as Christians and who is influencing the world. So the Holy Spirit testifies that Jesus is the Christ. Because without the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of stuff we can't explain. I mean, first we look at culture. You know, the impact and influence Christianity has had in the world. It's kind of downplayed today. But we wouldn't have, and Christians invented the first colleges, the first hospitals, uh, they came up with this idea of science because... God has created this world that you can study. And those are spirit-empowered Christians who started those things. And those are downplayed now. And they're, almost, they're a lot of times against God now. But it's Christians who started that. I mean, compare countries who have never had a Christian influence at any time in their history versus countries that have. I mean, there's something that accounts for that. There's a common denominator in those countries. It's at one point, those countries were predominantly Christian, and the Holy Spirit was working through the people in those countries. And again compare that to like Muslim countries and there's a huge difference in people's rights and how women are treated and education and science. There's that that testifies that Jesus is the Christ. But also individually, I know in myself there's no way to explain what's happened to me except for Jesus. And in the past few years, almost three years since I became a Christian. Because I know who I used to be and I know the things I used to do, I know the things I used to be proud of, and now I know that I don't like any of those things. And I'm a completely changed person, not because I'm great, but because Jesus is, and putting your faith in Him. There's no other way to explain that. And that's a huge testimony that Jesus is the Christ. And fourthly, we have the water, the blood, the Spirit, but also God, in verses 9 and 10, testifies that Jesus is the Christ. It says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself, he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. He, he, John is saying, we believe people all the time about everything. I remember uh, one time when I started working in Jackpot as a teacher, I, I think one of the kids made a mom joke or something. Like, your mom. Not to me, but I heard him say it. And so I, I said, hey, don't say that because my mom died in the car crash when I was six and it really hurts my feelings. I don't know what I was doing. I was dumb back then. I already told you that. And uh, I never told him I was lying about that. or I, You know, I was joking. And, and so, a couple months later, I was talking about my family and I said something about my mom. My kid's like, what? You said your mom was dead. And I was like, uh, whoops. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. See, that's just, that's just a little sample of who I used to be. Uh, and... People, I mean, stuff like that. People believe that all the time. People believe things people tell them all the time. People never question stuff that people tell them. But then, all of a sudden, when it's about God, now everyone puts on their skeptic caps and things. Oh, I'm not going to believe that. And uh, even it says, I mean, or even hi- historical facts, we accept things as historical facts all the time because it says it in some book and no one doubts it. But now because it says it in the Bible, now everyone says, oh, I have to doubt it because it's the Bible. I have to you know, question it. And that's fine to question the Bible, but there's more historical proof of the Bible being true than any other book that's ever been written. There's more early manuscripts of the Bible versus any book written in the ancient world. But everyone doubts the Bible because we, we receive the witness of man. And that's, we do that all the time. But the witness of God is greater. But we don't receive that. And people don't receive that. And then it says they call Him a liar. When we don't believe that His Son is who He says He is, then we're calling God a liar. And not a lot of people be comfortable with saying that, but when we deny Jesus, we're saying God is a liar because He testifies about His Son. We saw it at His baptism, at the transfiguration, and then at His resurrection, that God the Father is telling us, here's my Son, Jesus. And we've talked about you know, what we do when we put our faith in Jesus and why we should. Uh, so, kind of to illustrate the difference here about what uh, it means to just say these things and to live it. There's a uh, YouTube video I saw on the YouTubes a while ago about a college professor who was a physics teacher, it must be, or, I don't know, or witchcraft, I don't know. But uh, he, I like calling physics witchcraft because it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, he put a hook on the ceiling that had a rope and then a, like a huge ball, hundreds and hundreds of pounds ball, and through see witchcraft or physics, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm, I'm joking. Uh, through physics, he he calculated exactly if you draw if you lifted the ball and dropped it, exactly how far it would swing in the other direction, like a pendulum. And he calculated all that through physics and said, if I stand right here, that ball is going to come right up to my nose, but it's not going to hit me, and. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have enough faith in my math skills to do that, but even if someone told me, your math is 100% correct. If you stand right there, that 100-pound ball is not going to hit you in the face. I don't think I'd have the faith to stand there and take it. Hey, but in this uh, YouTube video, that's what the professor does. He has enough faith in his physics skills or math calculations. He stood right there, and the ball came like right up to his nose, and he didn't even back up. He didn't do anything. He had that much faith, And his math skills to stand there and know that it wasn't going to hit him. And and again, even if I knew 100% my math was correct, I wouldn't have that faith. I could say, yeah, if you stand right here, the ball's not going to hit you. But I'm not going to actually stand there and do it. And so that's not faith. If faith is standing there and knowing that, that ball's not going to hit you because whatever you've calculated is true and correct. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, and when we accept that, and again, we have some things that we are to do after that, it's not faith to just say, yeah, I believe it. It's faith to stand there, and to do it, to live it, to, to just live by faith. It's not just knowledge, it's not just computations, it's putting it into your life, and if you're not willing to stand there and let the ball get right up to your face but not flinch, then Again, there's maybe a shake in that foundation of our faith and uh, prayer, counseling, whatever. Get that figured out. Because faith is not just saying it. Faith is living it and trusting in it. Uh, so if your faith is not in Jesus, then why is it in wherever else it is? I mean, You need to question that because again, everyone has faith somewhere. And if your faith isn't in Jesus, where is it and why? Um, what kinds of things do you readily accept as truth, but you doubt God about? Again, there's a lot of things we hear about and just say, yeah, that must be true. But then as soon as God says it, we doubt it and don't accept it. And if we're putting our faith in Jesus, then uh, we are to accept what God says is truth. But what do you have doubts about? And then, what do you say you believe, but don't practice? What do you say is somewhere you put your faith or something you believe about Jesus, but you don't actually live it? And things to think about about putting our faith in Jesus. And finally, uh We've talked about uh, what we do when we put our faith in Jesus, why to put our faith in Jesus. Finally, what does God do when we put our faith in Jesus? And that's in verses 11 and 12. It says, And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the big f- picture here, what God has given us, I mean, many, many things, but in this, uh, these couple verses, It's talking about God giving us eternal life. That God's given us eternal life. And it says, given. That's a huge important word. It's a gift. It's something that you give. You don't earn it. Um, And we don't deserve it, and we didn't earn it. Jesus did all the work, and God the Father, through that, through His Son Jesus, gives it to us out of mercy and grace because He loves us. It's a gift. Our eternal life is a gift. Our uh, comfort in God in this life is a gift. It's all a gift. It's been given to us through His grace. But it says, uh, "He who does not have the Son of God does not have life." And there's only one way to eternal life, and that's the Son of God. And this is why people don't like Christianity. It's exclusive. You know, there's not all paths lead to God. And there's not if you're a good person you're going to have eternal life. It's if you don't have the Son of God, you do not have life. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. There's no other way to the Father except through Him. And so if, G- if you don't have the Son of God, you do not have eternal life. Your sins are still upon you. Your sins need to be forgiven. Because if they're not, you're separated from God. And eternal separation from God is hell. And that's where you end up when you don't uh, believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ. Okay. Um, but it says, He who has the Son has life. So how do we have this Son? He kind of says it figuratively here. It goes back to the beginning. It's in verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. By confessing that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Son of God, that He's who we trust in and put our faith in for our eternal salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins, we put our complete faith in that. And not just our mental belief saying, oh yeah, it says in the Bible, John 3.16, if you believe, yeah, that's true. But it's again, faith is not just saying it, it's standing there and believing it and knowing that it's true. We put our faith in that. That's how we have the Son. And that's how we have eternal life. And that's how we connect to God. That's how He gives us His Holy Spirit. God does like 99% of the work. We just have to listen. And for our salvation, He does 100% of the work. All we have to do is turn to Him and say that's where I'm putting my faith. Um, So in May of 2011, you probably remember a couple years ago, this happened in Joplin, Missouri. When it was hit by the EF5 level tornado, yeah, that's the most destructive tornado that exists. That does the most damage. That uh, hit Joplin, Missouri, a couple of years ago in 2011. It killed 158 people. That tornado injured over a thousand, and it caused almost three billion dollars in damage. And it's the seventh deadliest tornado in history. It's the most deadly in recent uh, history in the last 50 years. And in a tornado like those ones that hit Joplin, Missouri the winds are swirling at over 200 miles an hour. And it only takes four seconds to destroy a house with winds that are that moving that quickly. And they scientifically uh, prove that. When you look at pictures of the aftermath of, of that tornado, and you see amidst all the rubble and all the garbage and all the destruction that caused, there's one thing that would catch my eye about it, because it's not complete destruction. What's left is the foundation. Okay, the, that tornado that is one of the most destructive things that's ever happened, doesn't destroy the foundation. And so no, no matter how much hit that house, no matter how destroyed that house was, no matter how much damage was caused, the foundation wasn't destroyed. And what we've looked at today in First John, this is our foundation as Christians, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Christ to die to forgive us of our sins. And Jesus says when we have faith in that, we're building our house on the rock. Not the sand, but on the rock. So we have that foundation. And even when the winds are you know, destroying our walls and tearing the roofs off, and life is just throwing all this garbage at us and tearing everything down, it doesn't mean we have to doubt our foundation. Because that foundation is going to hold. No matter how much you throw it at, the foundation is there. When Pastor Dave showed us those pictures in Israel, the same thing. Thousands of years old, those houses. The foundations are still there. And the foundation doesn't need to be destroyed Because your walls are being shaken or even being torn off, even if there's nothing left, you can always count on that foundation that Jesus is the Christ. But in those difficult times of life when we're questioning our faith, questioning our foundation, it's important to think about how do you connect with your foundation? How do you know that? I mean, again, it's not just knowing and saying I have faith, but living in it. How do you connect with that foundation? Um, You know, me, I've been a Christian only, well, about three years this spring. And I've been blessed so far to not have any huge, you know, life-shattering, walls-coming-down type life situations. And I've been blessed that God has strengthened my faith all the time. And so maybe I'm not the best qualified to give advice on this, but just in my own life, um, I think about these things. And maybe this helps you, maybe it doesn't. But the disciples, when uh, Jesus asked them about this, they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the way of eternal life. And, and I think if I, something would happen to me in my life where my whole house is being ripped apart and everything's coming down, where else am I going to go? I mean, I studied this. I know it. And that means a lot to me in my head. Maybe not to everybody. But where am I going to turn? I mean, what's going to give me a better answer than Jesus even when all of this stuff is happening? Yeah, that's one thing. And again, like I said before, I know who I used to be. And think about yourself. Who did you used to be before you knew Jesus? And that can be part of connecting with your foundation and you know, knowing who Je- that Jesus is who He says He is. But a lot of the problems with faith when we you know, question or doubt, again, there's nothing, there's nothing really wrong with that necessarily, but a lot of times those uh, faith crises are a result of something else. They're a symptom of something else. Sometimes maybe it's sin. Maybe you're sinning. You're not doing what God commands. You're not being obedient And maybe that's causing a problem in your foundation of your faith. It could be that. And maybe it's, this I think pretty common, holding God to promises that He's never made. A lot of times when people say, I was a Christian for a while and then I turned away because this and this happened and God said that it wouldn't. A lot of times people, they hold hold God to promises that He's never made. Like a common one is that if you just have enough faith, God will do anything you say. God never makes that promise. And people will say, I, just, I, had, I had so much faith. I never doubted God for a second. But my wife still died or whatever. God never made that promise. And holding God to promises He never made, that, is what, that can shake our foundations. Uh, and so it's important to know God's Word because this is where He makes His promises. It's not hearing a guy like me or Pastor Dave preaching. We can get it wrong sometimes. Hopefully not. But it's right here is where God makes His promises. Don't hold God to promises that He's never made. That's going to shake your faith. Maybe you don't know Jesus well enough. When, when I think about knowing Jesus, I mean, I know Him. I know what He's done in my life. I don't know about Him. I know Him. And if you don't know Him well enough, that can lead to all those problems of doubting who, if, is he who He says He is. And maybe you just need to know Jesus better. You need to spend more time praying and reading the Bible. Uh, and the big one is being in fellowship with other believers. Like John says, to love one another. Whatever, again, a lot of the faith problems come from other things. And I can't in general say, you know, where's these problems coming from? But if you're talking to people, asking for help and prayer and wisdom and counsel, and being in fellowship with fellow believers, sometimes they can see things that you can't. A lot of times that's what happens. But a big assurance to me, I mean, it sounds maybe kind of callous at first, but uh, if you feel like you've lost God... God hasn't lost you. And it's your fault. And to me that's comforting to know that it's my fault. God is never going to leave us or forsake us. Any problems we have in our faith is because of us. And that can give you faith just knowing that, that. It's something that we're not doing obediently or some sort of issue that you know, we're having. It's not on God's end. It's on our end. And then we can turn to other believers and pray and read the Bible and try to figure out where that is. And the book of Job is you know, the book in the Bible for faith questions because Job gets everything taken from him. His house is torn down. He loses, I mean, figurative house like I was talking about earlier, but he loses all his kids. He loses all of, the, all of his possessions, his money, uh, his legacy. And the whole book of Job is him talking to his friends, why would God do this to me? I've been faithful. I've been good. Why would God do that? But the amazing thing that God answers in a way I never would have expected God never answers why. He answers who. That God does, he comes to answer Job after Job's been crying out. It's like 40 chapters of Job and his friends debating and crying and all these things. And God comes and He, he never yells at Job, first of all, for doubting or for questioning God or for being mad at God. And that's a huge comfort. You know, being mad at God is an act of faith. God never rebukes Job for being mad about it. What God does is He comes to Job and says... Uh, he doesn't answer his questions why. He s- explains who he is. He says, where were you when the earth was formed? Where were you? And I mean, it's an amazing, powerful section of Scripture, those chapters, when God is talking to Job. Uh, so maybe that's the question we should ask. Not why, but who. Who are you, God? And w- when we ask that question, we see who he is. And even though we don't understand everything about why these terrible things are happening to us, we have faith in who God is, that He is who He says He is, that He loves us enough that He sent His Son to die for us to forgive us out of love. And He doesn't cause bad things to happen to us, but sometimes He allows it. I mean, things happen. And by looking to who God is instead of why, is a huge uh, comfort in our faith. So remember, you know, who God is. He died for you. He paid for your sins. He doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as clean. He's not punishing you. He doesn't create evil. And don't blame Him for things that we've done. Okay, all the problems are our fault, not His. And so again, faith. We, it's impossible to please God without faith. But with faith, with standing on that foundation, knowing that Jesus is who He says He is, that is how we live the Christian life. And by faith in Jesus, we can overcome the world like you read about. By faith in Jesus, we can love one another. By faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. By faith in Jesus, we please God. We experience God's grace. We are set free from sin. By faith in Jesus, we have hope. We have peace. We're reconciled to God. We're no longer under condemnation. By faith in Jesus, we're forgiven. By faith in Jesus, we can live and live more abundantly. It does take faith. We need faith. We need to pray for faith. But God is always faithful. So let's pray. Father, I thank You for who You are, for Your faithfulness to us, for forgiving the sinners that we are, the terrible things that we do in this world, the things that cause each other to shake our faith, to question who You are. I thank You, God, that who You are stays the same, that You're eternal, that You loved us enough to send Your Son, Jesus to forgive us of our sins, to connect us with You and to give us our firm foundation to build our house upon the rock and not upon the sand. Jesus, I thank You for Your selfless sacrifice for Your life, for the blood and the water that testify to Your life, Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I thank You for coming to live within us and helping us in our problems of faith and hard times. And God, I pray for the people here, the people listening, Lord, that whatever problems they're going through, that You would give them wisdom, God. You would show them in Your Word where they can see Your promises, that You would direct them to people who are going to help them, uh, to people who will give them wisdom, Lord, and that You would just reveal Yourself to them and help, help us all to know You more and more and trust in Your promises more. And we pray for all these things in the name of Your Son, Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.
0: been listening to a live teaching from the river christian fellowship home of csn if you'd like to hear today's teaching again you can catch the free podcast by searching the itunes store for the river christian fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226 there's also a video of today's teaching available on our website the and then click the media button Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.